Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Put away lying. Stop lying. Just don't do it anymore. Now, for some people, it's a little more challenging because people develop patterns and and habits in their lives. And some people have cultivated uh, an entire lifestyle of deception. But when you come to Jesus, listen, there's going to be a change there. And it might take a while to, to work that out of your system, but the Lord's going to do it. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5, verse 2, in a message titled, Putting on the Old, Putting on the New. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 25 and make our way through chapter 5, verse 2. In our last study, we looked at what Christ taught us regarding no longer walking as the rest of the world walks, as those who don't know Christ live or behave. We're, We're to no longer live or behave the way we used to. He described those as walking in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And then he said, who being past feeling, they've gone beyond conviction or shame and have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness. So this is Paul's a description of the world, the unbelieving world in his day. And his whole point is, we're no longer to be living like that. That, that was the former lifestyle of those in Ephesus. It was a former lifestyle of many of us as well. We're no longer to live that way. We, are, we on the contrary, are to put off the old man that is corrupt through deceitful lust and put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And here in verse 25, Paul begins to tell us what that looks like. So this is where we get down to the real nitty-gritty. This is where we get to the rubber meeting the road, so to speak, in our our lives as Christians. Paul's going to begin to get very, very specific with us about how we are to behave, how we are to live as Christians in this world. And so let's read, beginning in verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And so here Paul now launches into what it really means to put off the old and to put on the new. The old are, are the things that we formerly did before we were in Christ. But now because we're in Christ and Christ is in us, we are new men and women. And so we are to put on the things that are consistent with the new life. So he begins with lying. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know, the followers of Jesus Christ should be known in their community as honest, reliable people whose word can be trusted. Uh, a Christian who is a deceiver, a Christian who is known uh, as a liar, th this is just completely inconsistent with what it is to be a Christian. I mean, I think even people who are not Christians or maybe even possibly hostile to Christianity, they would know almost intuitively that a person who is a deceiver but yet claiming to be a Christian isn't really much of a Christian. Because of course, Jesus is all about the truth. He is the truth. And he calls us as his people to be people of truth. So we are to put away lying and we are to speak the truth with our neighbor and then Paul reminds us for we are members of one another so now know this I know you know this let me remind you though we have kind of a twofold thing going here because we're talking about our neighbor could be anybody really could be our, our neighbor, literally, the people who live in our neighborhood, could be the people that we work alongside of, the people that we associate with or come into contact with out in the world. And, and this is, everything that Paul's saying here has some bearing on the way we look to the world at large. But it also applies to ourselves together as, as the body of Christ. So we're to have a good reputation in regard to the truth and honesty with the world outside, but we're also, of course, to be honest with each other. We're to be truthful toward one another. One writer put it like this, for we are members of one another. And then he said, Paul brings us back to his doctrine of the church being the body of Christ and implies that a lie is a stab into the very vitals of the body of Christ. For fellowship is built on trust, and trust is built on truth. So falsehood undermines fellowship while truth strengthens it. 
that is so true, isn't it? We, we need to be honest with each other. We need to make sure we're being truthful to one another because we can't ever expect to, to trust one another and, and thereby enjoy the depth of fellowship that God wants us to have if there's deceit among us. There was an ancient writer, one of the early church fathers, he, he put it like this. He said, if the eye sees a serpent, does it deceive the foot? If the tongue tastes something bitter, does it deceive the stomach? And of course, he's showing the absurdity of, of such a thing. But we have to think in terms of us being a body. You know, could you imagine walking down a path and, and suddenly you, you see a rattlesnake in the path and, and the eye says, I'm not going to tell the foot that snake's there. Uh, I don't care if the snake bites the foot. It's not going to bite me. I'm the eye. I'm way up here. Well, of course, that's never going to happen, right? But it, it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And, and so likewise, it would be ridiculous for us to try to deceive one another or to be acting deceptively in our relationships to one another as the people of God. So Paul says, putting away lying, which really just simply means stop doing it. Stop lying. Don't lie anymore. Now, I would imagine that all of us, of course, we've all lied at times, no question about it. And, and probably as Christians, we've, we've lied as well. Why do people lie? Well, sometimes people lie out of uh, animosity toward others. They they want to hurt somebody, so they tell lies about them. That's one reason why people lie. People lie also because they feel that if they told the truth, they wouldn't look as good or they wouldn't be as accepted, maybe. So they tell lies about themselves, about who they are, where they've been, what they've done, things like that, sort of out of an insecurity to get people to think more highly of them. Insecurity is really most of the time, just another form of pride. But, you know, wanting people to think something about you, that it's really not true, but yet you're going to look better in their eyes. But, but Paul says, dispense with all of that. Don't, don't, uh, don't be doing that. Just speak the truth. Tell the truth to each other. And of course, earlier we read, uh, we're to speak the truth in love when we speak it, but we're to, we're to be honest. Put away lying. Stop lying. Just don't do it anymore. Now, for some people, it's, it's a little more challenging because people develop patterns and, and habits in their lives. And some people have, have cultivated uh, an entire lifestyle of deception. But when you come to Jesus, listen, there's going to be a change there. And it might take a while to, to work that out of your system, but the Lord's going to do it. And you need to just keep giving that over to him. And, you know, sometimes people have a tendency to, they're, they're not lying in, in the sense that they're necessarily trying to deceive you, but, you know, oftentimes they embellish the story. They make it more than it actually was. And, and that is not good either. You know, I've, I've heard people, they, they want to give an impressive testimony. And so they embellish their story. They add things to the story that, you know, that, that really wasn't the case. I've heard people do that. You know, they've kind of gone back and, you know, maybe they went to jail once, but then it becomes like a prison sentence, you know, 
Maybe they got a parking ticket, but then, you know, somehow it was actually like a drive-by shooting they were involved in or something. And, you know, it's like, okay, wait, 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 you know. No, we, God, God doesn't need your embellishment in order to touch people's lives. So we need to have integrity. Years ago, there was a person who became very famous in uh, the Christian community, uh, and, and he was known as the guy who came out of witchcraft. And he was supposedly a warlock. And he had all these stories and he wrote these books and all of this. And, you know, come to find out uh, some years later after he had spoken to tens of thousands of people and written books and sold a bunch of them, come to find out it was all made up. It was all embellished. He was just telling stories to make himself look better and seem more important and to lend more credibility to his message. God help us. We should never do anything like that. Stop lying. Secondly, he says, be angry and do not sin. Now, this is not a command to be angry. It's simply the recognition that sometimes anger is appropriate. And there is an anger that is not sinful. It's what we would call a righteous anger. And there's a time and a place for a righteous anger. We just have to be careful not to cross over the boundary into an unrighteous anger. And it's a very thin line between the two. Now, Jesus, of course, is a good example of someone who expressed the right kind of anger. Jesus, you remember, he went into the temple, which was his father's house, which was a house of prayer, was intended to be a house of prayer. But he found that there were people in there that had made it a den of thieves. And so he turned over the, uh, the tables of the money changers. He made a, a whip of small cords. He drove them out of the place. And he said, you know, get out of my father's house. He, he was angry. But it was a righteous anger because they were taking financial advantage of God's people. They were ripping off the people of God. And so Jesus there demonstrated a righteous anger. Paul demonstrated a righteous anger toward the false teachers who sought to lead the new converts into spiritual bondage. And so Paul would speak out against these false teachers. And they were trying to put people under the Mosaic law. And the the primary aspect of the law they were focusing on was circumcision. And at one point, Paul says regarding these false teachers, he said, You know, as they're all carried away in their circumcision, I wish they would just castrate themselves. Now, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty sharp. But that was the righteous indignation toward those who were seeking to lead people astray from the truth. And so there's a time and a place for that. There are plenty of things around us today that we should be righteously angry about. And, and I want to say something here that I think needs to be corrected a little bit. We need to, to get the balance back because I think it's been lost. In our desire to, to move away from that you know, constant presentation of God as being a God of wrath and judgment and uh, ready to punish sinners and all that, we, we tend to swing the pendulum over to the other side. We want to emphasize that God is love and his love and his mercy and his grace and, and we do want to emphasize that, but we can't, we can't lose the balance. We have to remember that God is love, yes, but he, you know, true love is going to be angry at certain things. So th- there's a time and a place to, 
to be angry. Righteous anger will stir us to needed action. And so we want to always maintain that balance. Yes, God is love. We believe that. We preach that. We live that. Yes, God's grace is what saves us. There's no question about that. But let's not forget that God's also righteous. He's holy. He's just. And he will, as he declared, he will one day judge sin. And we know he will because he judged it already on the cross of Jesus Christ. And for those who have put their faith in Christ, their sin has been judged. But for those who have rejected Christ, there's a judgment coming that will fall upon them because they didn't receive the judgment that Christ took for them. John Stott, in his Ephesians commentary, he said this. And I think it's interesting that John Stott would say this because he, John Stott was a well-known British evangelical leader, known all around the world. And... um, he was very, very balanced, and he wasn't known for like a hellfire and brimstone kind of approach to his preaching at all. But he said this. I found it interesting. He said, there is a great need in the contemporary world for more righteous anger. We human beings compromise with sin in a way in which God never does. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant, angry, not apathetic. But then he went on to say this, at the same time, we need to remember our own fallenness and our constant proneness to intemperance and pride. Consequently, we always have to be on our guard and act as censors of our own anger. If we are wise, we shall be slow to anger, remembering that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, the much needed balance there. Okay. There's a place for righteous anger, but we have to be careful because, uh, it's easy to drift over into that other side where the anger becomes sin rather than being righteous. How do I avoid that? Well, I never should have that, that righteous indignation based upon some self-righteousness in me or some idea that I have some moral superiority to somebody else. I have to always keep in mind that I am also a sinner and God has had mercy on me. So we have to, you know, somehow be able to judge a situation and and righteously be angry at it, but not cross over that thin line into the place where we're sinning. And so be angry, but do not sin. So most anger, of course, is sinful anger. Most anger is rooted in bitterness and hostility toward people, frustration at people. And of course, this is the thing that the apostle's primarily talking about. Don't sin through anger. We, we have a ton of anger in our culture today. Many, many people in anger management courses, they were actually assigned to those courses by judges. People issues... Uh, that have to do with domestic violence or workplace violence or, you know, things like that. So this should never be the situation with us as God's people. We shouldn't be seen as angry people. We might be angry occasionally at certain things, but we need to be humbly angry. But our our general demeanor is, is one that would not be identified as angry. So be angry, do not sin, 
Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. We're not to hold on to things. You know, we, we have to let things go. Over the years, you, you learn in a marital situation, for example, you learn that, you know, you've got to let things go. So often we're, we're tempted to hold on to things, though. I know the times in my marriage when I have decided I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to keep this argument going. I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to make her apologize. And I've done that occasionally. And it never goes well. (laughs) It never goes well. So, you know, as time goes on, you realize, no, we just got to get this dealt with. We've got to not let the sun go down on our wrath. Why? Because when we do that, we give place to the devil. And the devil loves that. He's just right there. He's looking for an opportunity. The moment you say in your heart, I'm not going to forgive that person, the devil's right there to go, gotcha. Good. You know, you don't realize he's right there doing it, but that's exactly what he's doing. And then he's going to make this situation more and more bitter and you're going to become more and more resentful and to the point where you're just, there's, there's going to be hatred that will ensue from that. And so we don't want to give any place to the devil. Be angry. Occasionally there's that place for the righteous anger, but for the most part, anger is sinful. Have nothing to do with it. Don't give place to the devil. And then he says, let him who stole steal no longer. This of course, is the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment in the Ten Commandments. The Eighth is, you shall not steal. Some of you, Paul says, used to be thieves. You were in the habit of ripping people off. No more. That's not the way we conduct ourselves as Christians. There seems to be nothing worse in the eyes of those outside than Christians who are dishonest and Christians who rip people off. And I've heard over the years stories from people who have known Christians who have ripped them off. Guy's got a construction company, got a truck with a big fish on it. I love Jesus construction. <laughs> I'll come to your house. I'll do anything you need me to do. And then they, they, they don't do the work and they rip you off. Or they've got a bunch of employees. They never pay them. And then they skip town. This kind of stuff happens. This has happened over and over again. That's, that's stealing. That's ripping people off. We're not to be doing that as God's people. We're not to be stealing. We're not to be taking advantage of people financially in any way. We're, we're to have total integrity in these kinds of things. God help us. Because, again, these are the things that Man, the world looks on and says, you know, why would I want to become a Christian? What's any different about Christians? They, They rip people off all the time. And unfortunately, there's some truth to that. But let it never be the case with us. We can't control what other people do, but let it never be the case with us. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. A great book that I recently read 
was the book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. And this is written by a young man named Gavin Ortland, and he is a brilliant writer. And this book deals with the subject of Christian unity. It just seems like so often we're divided up over theological issues, and many times we are dividing over things that don't really matter in the big picture. And so the title kind of indicates that, finding the right hills to die on. We don't want to die on every hill. There are certain things, obviously, we need to stand and fight for certain essential doctrines. So this book kind of puts in perspective what the priorities are. And so I highly recommend Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. You can order the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.